I wanted to be like my father. I wanted to have a nice car like he had. Private jet to, to fly on when we went on vacation. I wanted to be able to bless people like he did. I wanted to be respected like he was. I saw my father occasionally. He was busy building waste management at the time. His life was uh, filled with hard work, with travel, with interesting people. He had a certain amount of power. It was a life that, that seemed exciting to me. I made an incredible amount of money working with Wayne Sr. there. I began to have wealth to fly, to have a nice sport fishing yacht, to live in a big home, to have an incredible amount of disposable income. We owned three sports teams. We drank, we drank in excess, went to the kind of clubs that you didn't tell your mother that you went to. I commanded an audience. I said whatever came to my mind, whether it was to you or to your wife, self-focused. Do what I want, and I'm gonna please me, no matter what that means. That was my life. An incredible banquet of all the things that the world had to offer, but just never getting full, never being satisfied, never being able to push away and say, okay, that's enough. Suddenly I was lost. Happy, but unfulfilled. Something was missing. Well, hi everyone. How are you doing this evening? You glad to be here? All right, I'm glad you are here. So glad that you're here with us. And uh, we're in this series called Happiness Is. And we've been looking at this over the last few weeks and just trying to discover from God's word, what does the Bible have to say? What does Jesus, got a little ringing here, Rick, got, got ringing here. Um, what does Jesus have to say about this whole issue of happiness? What does he say about this? And that video you just watched, that's Wayne Huizinga Jr. And we'll hear a little more of his story here in just a few minutes. But I think it's so interesting that he said this, I had an incredible banquet or a buffet, so to speak, of all the world had to offer me. And he said, but it's like I could never push away from the table and say, I'm full. Like it was never enough. It was never satisfying. He's the man that owned back when Blockbuster was around. He owned Blockbuster Video before Netflix came in, right? And the internet and all of this. Owned three sports teams, professional teams, part of the Miami Dolphins ownership, Florida Panthers, the Florida Marlins. He said, I had the world basically by the tail. I had cars, private jet, yachts. And this is a direct quote. And another thing that he said, he said this, I had happiness, some happiness in my life. But then he said this, but I never really felt fulfilled. I never felt like that was it or enough. And you hear this all the time whenever you look at guys like this that seem to have, or women like this that seem to have everything. What about this guy here? I mean, we all know who Tiger Woods is, right? We've got a, got a picture of him. There's Tiger. You look at Tiger's life, one of the greatest athletes of our generation, one of the greatest athletes of all time, truly. Greatest, one of the greatest golfers ever and had everything, the money, had a, was married to a supermodel, but couldn't find satisfaction. And so was going from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to find it through sex or through other relationships. And, and you know, when I bring these guys up, 
And I don't bring them up to judge in any kind of way because we know this, a tiger's still struggling and we should be praying for him. We don't judge him, we pray for people like this that are struggling because we're all broken. But we can look at their lives and see that money, fame, what the world says success is, that's not where it's at as far as fulfillment. Or what about this guy here? We all know who this guy is, but that's Tom Brady. You know, many of you know if you're a football fan. By the way, are we ready for some football? Are you ready? Yeah? All right. I was thinking, are you ready for some worship and now then some football? Okay. All right. Bad song. But anyhow, you're ready for that here in just a little bit. But Tom Brady, five Super Bowl rings, right? Right there. There's only four, but he's going to get another one. All right. Now, this guy has kind of has had it all, right? And, and now he's, he's four-time Super Bowl MVP. Many of, uh, by the way, one of those Super Bowl trophies that he got maybe look like, it might look like this. I think we sit a little deflated there or whatever. Okay. Some of you, all right, I'm not hating. Just, just saying, football people know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, but still, seriously, the best of the best football uh, guys would say this about Tom Brady. He may be the best quarterback that's ever played. You hear that from guys like Joe Montana and all these guys who are incredible football players. They say that about him. Think about his life too. Married to a supermodel, has all the success that the world has to offer, but he had an interview with 60 Minutes and Steve Croft uh, interviewed him and he told Croft this. He said, despite the fame, the career accomplishments that he had already achieved, and back when this interview happened, he had three Super Bowl rings at that time, he made himself vulnerable to Croft and to really all of America at that point. And he said this, in spite of that success, I still felt like something was lacking in my life. That's what he said. Those were his words. And in fact, and again, back when he had three Super Bowls, and this is what he said in the interview, I quote him, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is it. This is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. And then he says this, me? I think it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't it, right? That's what he said. This isn't it. This isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And then Croft pressed him a little more and said something like this to him. He said, what do you think the answer is? And, and, and Tom Brady said, what's the answer? I wish I knew. He said, I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me or a lot of other parts about me that I am. And he says this, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find. So it's like there's, there's this searching that's still going on. There's a, there's a longing for something that hasn't quite filled him up. And you heard Wayne Huizinga talk about that. We can see that in others' lives. And it sounds like so many people that we hear of, we see that have experienced great success according to the world's standards, but it's like they're still searching for something to satisfy them. We said in the first week of this series, we called that as we open happinesses, we called that talk that day chasing it because we all want to be happy, right? Who wants to be happy? Raise your hands. Raise them up. We do. We're looking for it in so many different ways. And in week one, we talked about King Solomon, the guy who had everything. 
He had everything, and these that we're looking at are a lot like him. They, he had all the money, he had relationships with women, and, and you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and we kind of read part of it in that first week, and it's like this one big giant midlife crisis that Solomon is in. He can't quite, he's, he's talking about how he's chased it in so many different ways, and then you get to the end of the book, right? And he comes full circle to about the biggest question regarding life. Maybe for some of you today, it's been this. This could be your theme song. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, you got to admit, it takes guts to sing right after Danny just got through singing, right? All right? It takes guts. But that might be, for some of you, I mean, that song is from one of my favorite bands. That might be, for some of you, that might be your theme song as you're going through life. You're looking for it, and you haven't found it yet, and you're not satisfied, and you're still searching for this, right? This past week, and there's like this restlessness. This past week, I was, uh, I was having trouble one night going to sleep. I had a lot on my mind. I wasn't really bothered by anything. I just couldn't, I couldn't shut the brain off. Does anybody else have that problem at night? I, I, was, I couldn't shut it off. I was thinking about things and some things that needed to, that needed to happen and I needed to take care of. And, and so I was tossing and turning when I should have been sleeping. And so I decided to get up and uh, probably because I was afraid I was gonna wake my wife up. And, and so I, I got up and, and I, I left the bedroom. And then I went into the to the uh living room area and it was dark. Everyone else was asleep. And I'm, I was just kind of like, there's this restlessness about me. And so the next thing I did was, was what I've done a lot of times. Okay. But I, I walked into the kitchen. All right. Do you ever do this? I walked into the kitchen at that point and I walked to the refrigerator and I got to the refrigerator door and I thought, you know what? I'm, 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 maybe I'm just kind of hungry. All right. And I started justifying in my mind at this point, I had missed breakfast. So really, if I eat something now, even though it's past midnight, it's really dinner, right? Okay. Have you ever done that? Does anybody justify like that? And so I was standing there and, and I was standing there and I opened the refrigerator door and I just was kind of there looking into the light, into the refrigerator. And I looked there and there was really not anything in there that I really wanted. Does anybody ever just open the refrigerator door? You look in, you don't really know what you want. You look in and there's nothing you want. Raise your hands. You look at it. These are my people that I'm talking about right here. And so I stood there looking and then I thought, and you know what I, what I wished, I, I, I thought, man, this would be, inc- you know, it'd be great. There's nothing really in here that I want, right? But I, I wanted something, but I didn't quite know what I wanted. If there had been, I thought this would be incredible. Wouldn't it be great if you opened the refrigerator and there was a Whataburger drive through when you did that, right? Okay. Now I might've found something I wanted at that point if there had been that, but nevertheless, I didn't have that. But I stood in front of the refrigerator, I closed the door, and I realized this, I was definitely hungry, but you know, I closed the door, many times I would have eaten something, but I didn't on that night. I walked away, praise God, all right? I walked away and I realized this, I was hungry, but I wasn't really hungry for food. There was something else that I was craving that night. Well, in the greatest sermon that's ever been given by Jesus himself and what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses these things that we'll call matters of satisfaction, right? There's songs written about it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The Rolling Stones wrote, I still can't, I I can't get no satisfaction, right? That's what they wrote. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount would address this matter of satisfaction in our lives, 
And, and he would begin this talk by what was called the Beatitudes. And we've been revisiting this every week because I want you to remember this and understand the word Beatitude, all it means is this, to be deeply blessed by God. It's this Latin word, it just means deeply blessed. Deeply blessed. And that word blessed, as he opens this talk with these people, he would say, blessed are thee, and then he would say something. Now that word blessed means, and it's on the screen, what does it mean? It means happy. So in other words, when you see the word blessed, you could say, happy are those who, and then you fill in the blank, and we've been doing that each week. It means happy. And he, would, he was talking to an everyday group of people just like us. Now, yes, it was over 2,000 years ago, and they were in a different location than we're in, but you need to know they were people just like we are people, and they were searching. They were religious even, and the religion was not fulfilling them. So they were wondering, could Jesus be the Messiah? Could he be the one that is going to satisfy us? And they were desperate, and so they were following him around, and he begins this talk. And now each week we've been digging in on these beatitudes. We've been looking at one a week and kind of expounding on that. Jesus begins to talk about their lack of satisfaction. They hadn't found what they were looking for. And so in Matthew chapter 5, as he goes up on the mountain there in Galilee, in that, his home area there, he begins to teach the people, starting in verse two, and I'm gonna ask us to read this out loud together, okay, as a congregation, it'll be up on the screen, let's say it together, starting in verse two. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now wait, remember when you see blessed, what does it mean? Okay, so think in those terms, all right? All right, let's say it starting in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now help me out with this last one. And happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, what does he say? He said they will be satisfied. He said those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... Now let's just pause for a moment and let's ask the Lord to teach us from his word what this means, okay? Can, can you pray with me at this point? Lord Jesus, we need you to be our teacher tonight. God, would you, as we know the Holy Spirit is moving in this place, moving among us, God, would you awaken our spirit to you tonight to be our teacher? Lord, we are hungry for you. We're not satisfied with what the world offers us, God. We need you. And so Lord, teach us tonight. Lord, there may be people who are in here as there were in every service today who, Lord, they, hadn't, they have not found what they're looking for. They've been searching all their life. Would you show them, Lord, that you love them and that you are the one that satisfies our hunger and our thirst? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. All right. So Jesus starts off by saying, he says to them, look, if you want to find true happiness... He says it starts by being, remember, poor in spirit. And poor in spirit means that we recognize that we, without God, we are, we're spiritually impoverished. We need God. We have a deep need for God. And he says, happiness starts when you come to the place of realizing that. 
how much you really need God, that you have nothing to offer, and you'll begin to find true happiness in God when there's brokenness in your heart like that. And then he said, in the next week, we studied, happy are those who mourn. And we said, well, that, does, that seems contradictory there, but what he's saying is, those of us who, who we're happy, we begin to find true happiness when we actually mourn the fact that our sin has broken our relationship with God, and that our sin has had an impact on this world, and because of sin in the world, this world collectively is broken, is it not? I mean, we see it every single day. We see it, it's happening right now. The world is broken. There are things like hurricanes that are happening, devastating lives, and that's been going on. Earthquakes have been, you know what I'm saying? The world is broken. It's broken, and he says, happy are those who mourn this because then we realize our deep need for forgiveness, and we also, he says, they shall be comforted because we know that Jesus, through his redemptive work, is setting this world straight. And he will redeem this world and he will take away all sadness and sorrow and all the brokenness because of his completed work on the cross. And then when you realize how much you've been forgiven, then it's a, you move into this next thing, which it's all progressive. He says, happy are those who are meek. And, we, and he said, they shall inherit the earth. And we learned that this word meekness is not a word that we associate it with, which many of us associate it with weakness, but it's not that at all. In fact, it's great strength. This word meekness is what's used to describe a horse that is a powerful horse that is under control of the master. And so it's great. And it's easier to be uh, a little more gentle with people when you realize how much you have been forgiven. When you realize what God has done in your life, it's a lot easier to be a little more gentle with folks around you because you've got a little thicker skin and maybe a little softer heart. So he says, happy are those who are meek because here's what we do. We don't let everything offend us. We let things roll off our back. We don't take everything personal and we begin to forgive people a little more easily. We're not so demanding with people. We're more understanding with people. Jesus said that's a, that's a key to happiness in your life. Meekness, gentleness with people around it, but it starts by being poor in spirit and then by mourning our sin and then by we, we become meek is what he says. And then he says the next thing, and happy are those. Now in the original language, it's not just those who hunger as if it's a one-time hunger. It's a continuous action in the original language. Happy are those who are hungering and who are thirsting, he says who are hungering and thirsting for, he says, righteousness, for they will be, and we all said it together, they will be satisfied. This word satisfied, circle this if you have your Bibles open, circle it because here's what it also means. It means fulfilled. They will be filled up. They can push away from the table and say, I'm full. My soul is full right now because I've, I'm hungering and I'm thirsting for, for righteousness here. Jesus said you'll be satisfied, but you have to hunger and thirst for the right thing. Now, what did he say that we must hunger and thirst for in order to be filled? I mean, words mean something. He used this word, and what's the word? Righteousness, he says. Now, what in the world does righteousness mean? What he's saying is, Jesus says, listen, this is one of the keys to happiness in your life. And if it's one of the keys and we all said we want to be happy, then we ought to know what this word righteous means. Or we're going to miss out on this important key in our life. It's a big clue that I need to know what this is if he says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for this. 
Righteousness is a big word in the Bible. In the original language, it's the word diakasune, and it means this. It's used hundreds of times, by the way. God is called righteous. The Bible is called righteous. His word is called this. It says God loves righteousness. God rewards righteousness. The Bible will call guys like Noah righteous. Now, by the way, in week one, we said, but Noah was still broken and a sinner, wasn't he? He still messed up. It calls Abraham uh, righteous. Abraham had messed up. Abraham had told some lies before. In one of the most famous Psalms, David said this, he leads me in the paths of what? Righteousness. This word comes up over and over and over again. That's my point is that the scripture says this over and over again. It's important for us to know this, church. We need to understand this in order to hunger for it properly. So what does it mean? This word righteous, when I looked it up in one theological dictionary, there were 27 pages for this one word. That's a lot. I'm not going to take you through those pages. I'm going to sum it up for you, okay? Here's what this word means. Let's sum it into this for our purposes today. Righteousness is about this right here. If you're taking notes, righteousness is about a relationship with God, and it is also about a lifestyle that flows out of that relationship with God. Righteousness is about a personal relationship with God. Now, let's, let's break these down just a little bit. A relationship means this. It means I'm in right relationship with God. I'm in a personal relationship with God. So Jesus is saying, happy are those who are hungering for this right relationship with me who are hungering to be in relationship with me. But how does one obtain right relationship with God? Is it because you're in church right now that that makes you right with God? Is it because maybe you read your Bible two or three times this week or maybe every day? Does that make you in right relationship with God? Is it because maybe as we have sought as a church to help a bunch of people who are in, in great need in, the, in South Texas and we filled up a bunch of trucks, does that, does that make us righteous with God because we've done good deeds? Do we earn righteousness with God because of these things that we do? God, God doesn't say with this regarding our relationship, doesn't say good luck figuring this out on your own. No, he's very clear about how we are made righteous in relationship with him. Paul is gonna talk about this in something that is called, and many of you know what this is, but I wanna revisit it because it's important for many who are new in our church to understand it. And it's important for you, if you do know it, to be reminded of it because it's gonna bless your soul because people this morning said, this blessed my soul to be reminded of this so much. It's something that is called the gospel. The gospel just means this. For those of you maybe have been in church for a while, gospel means, say it with me, what? Good news. It's good news. And so the Apostle Paul is going to speak very clearly in the book of Romans about how to be in right relationship with him. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, this is where we're going to be the rest of the time is in the book of Romans. He says this, for Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of this good news. That translates gospel. I'm not ashamed of this gospel about Christ, the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. If you're not a Jew, then you are a Gentile, okay? That's everyone else who's not Jewish. 
Now look at this, verse 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by, what does it say, church? By faith. It's accomplished by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So why is this, good question right here, why is this good news so good? What makes this good news actually good? And Paul says this, because it's the gospel that tells us how God makes us right with himself. And now it's very important that you take note of this, especially in this passage, that God is the one who makes us right with him. God does the action of making us right with him. This is something God does for us when we have faith in him. He does it for you. He makes you right with him. So our righteousness, you could say, is all about a relationship. You'll hear us say this all the time around here at EBC. We're not interested in you becoming more religious or becoming religious at all. All right, these people who were following after Jesus were very religious and they were not being satisfied by their religion. Here's what you'll hear us say all the time around here. If you're new here, this is not about religion. This is about you coming into a personal relationship with the living God. Amen, right? It's about being in a relationship with the living God, all right? Not just you coming into some fruitless name only, by name only religion. Listen, we've had enough of that, have we not? We need something that is alive within us, something that satisfies us, all right? So the second thing of righteousness is about a lifestyle. And I won't have time to break this down today. I'll do it more in another message. But here's what a lifestyle of righteousness is. It's living rightly as God intends. So once you come into right relationship with God, the outflow of that is, is now living rightly with him in that relationship. It's the outflow of your relationship. Now remember this, Jesus, whenever he began this talk in the Sermon on the Mount, did not start with conduct first, did he? He didn't say, do this, 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 and then you'll become this. No, he started with character and then he flowed into conduct. He said, this is who you need to be in God first. And as you become this in God, conduct follows. Conduct follows. We don't want to get these out of order. In other words, before this is about your relationship, your relationship is about your position in Jesus Christ, not your practice. The practice comes out of the position. So hear this, okay? You don't do good deeds to earn right relationship with God. You do good things because you are in right relationship with God. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine will speak. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man boast. And then in, in verse 10, it says, for we are God's workmanship, the poem of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He created you to do these long in advance, okay? First John two twenty eight says this, and now little children abide in him. I wanna ask you a question, okay? Everybody listen. Are you abiding in him? Are you living in him? Are you, that word literally means dwelling with him, living in relationship with him. Look, he says, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. At the appearing of Christ, will you have confidence? In other words, at his return, are you confident? Can I just say something real quick? And I didn't even say this in the first service this morning. 
Okay, so I'm going to say this to you guys. I'm not an alarmist. But when I look around at our world right now, are you folks seeing what I'm seeing? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? And again, I'm not saying, but here's what I know. Here's what I will tell you. I believe in the return of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in that? Jesus is coming again. All right, he's coming again. I'm not saying it's today. He just said, and I did a series about this a couple of years ago, and the series is this. We are called by Christ to be prepared every day as if he is coming, not panicked. We don't have anything to fear. God is sovereign. He is in control. But I look around, and, I, and he says, be watchful. And whenever I'm watching, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing storm after storm. I'm seeing earthquake after earthquake. I'm seeing these kinds of things. You're talking about nuclear war. You're talking about all these things. And I'm going, you know what? This doesn't make me afraid. This makes me say, come on, Jesus. Right? So we can have confidence. Confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who, look at the word, practices righteousness has been born of him. So today, just, just a couple of things. Let's talk about these things just very quickly. Number one, how does God make me right with him then? Bart, if he makes me right with him, how does he do it? And two, how do I keep the spiritual hunger for him after I'm in relationship with him to where I stay hungry for him throughout my lifetime? But before we even get into that, here's the really big question. The big question is this, why should I even care? Why should I even care about being righteous or in right relationship with God? I mean, when I look around, it doesn't seem like very many people care about that. It doesn't seem like my friends care about that at school, or maybe they don't care about it at work or in our society as a whole. It just doesn't seem like people are very interested about being in right relationship with God. So why should I care about righteousness? Why should I hunger and thirst for it like Jesus said? Well, in a nutshell, and this is very important, Jesus said two things. He said, number one, it's the only way that you're going to ever be satisfied in this life right now. And secondly, you need to know this. Jesus said this on multiple occasions. It's the only way you will make it to heaven. Jesus said those words. That's pretty important, wouldn't you say? It's important to know this. Proverbs 12, 28. In the path of righteousness is life. Is life. And in its pathway, there is no, what's the word? Death. Or in other words, we have immortality. Jesus said, I've come to give you eternal life and abundant life at the same time. I came to give you a fulfilled life right now, but also I want you to be with me in heaven one day. You see, most people who are in this world right now are not fully alive. Scripture even says this in Ephesians. It says that without Christ, we are dead in our transgressions. We're spiritually dead until we become alive in Jesus Christ. And so I was thinking about it this week, and I'm not much into zombie flicks or anything like that, but I know a little bit about them, right? I've seen a few of them from time to time. And you see the zombies, and they're just kind of going around, and they're just kind of existing. There's no real purpose. They're just wandering, right? They're looking for people to eat. I know that. Okay, but forget that part of it. But, but they're wandering around. And maybe that's kind of like you, minus the eating people part. Maybe it's kind of like you. You're just kind of living for getting to the weekend. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're just existing. 
and there's no purpose really in your life, you don't feel satisfied, you could even call yourself the walking. I know who's watching that show now, right, okay? The walking dead. Ephesians says, Ephesians says that apart from Christ, we're dead in our transgressions. We're spiritually dead until we come alive in Christ. And, and you know, and, and maybe that's where some of you are. And it's interesting because uh, Augustine said this. He said, St. Augustine, one of our church fathers said, you have made us for yourself, speaking of God, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. He got it. Here's what that means. You are made by God and you are made for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. You'll just keep existing, kind of going through the motions of life. And maybe that's where some of you have been We've been saying week after week is that happiness is not getting something new. It's not going someplace new. It's not doing something new. It's becoming someone new. Becoming someone new in Christ and, and becoming someone new through being made right with God. And you're not really living until that happens in your life. And maybe for some of you, it's like you're standing at the refrigerator door of the world. Then <laughs> you've opened that door and you're looking in and you're trying to find something to satisfy you. And it's like, no, that's not going to do it. That, uh, I tried that. I'm not really hungry for that. that that's not going to satisfy. You're looking in this refrigerator door. You're trying to find something spiritually speaking. And here's the deal. God wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be in relationship with you, but he doesn't force you into relationship with him. He's not gonna force you to love him. He's not gonna make you make the choice for heaven as well. It's a choice you get to make regarding this. You get to choose whether or not to live with him in this world now and to go to heaven with him one day. Heaven, by the way, was created for you and for me. It's created for us. I hope if you don't hear anything else, you hear this. God wants you there. Amen? He wants you there. He, he's not, but he's not going to twist your arm. He gives you a choice. You can spend your life connected to the God who made you or disconnected from him. You can spend your life rebelling against God, ignoring God. You can even pretend that, the, that he doesn't exist. And you know what? He will never stop loving you. He'll never stop pursuing you. He'll never stop tugging at your heart, but he never forces you to love him back. He doesn't make you do that. He doesn't force you to come into relationship with him. It's not love if it's forced, right? The problem with this, and we really need to hear this, is that we're all going to stand before him one day, scripture says, and if we don't have relationship with him through the agency of Jesus Christ, he's going to say, listen, I loved you and I pursued you all of your life. I kept tugging at your heart, trying to come into relationship with you, but you didn't want me and you rejected me. And now listen, these are the saddest words in all of the scripture, in my opinion, because they don't have to be this way within our lives. And then he's going to say these words, depart from me. 
I never, what does he say? Knew you. He doesn't ask you about your religion. He doesn't ask you about how often you came to church. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. And you guys who know me, you know I'm not a hellfire brimstone kind of preacher, but I feel a full-on responsibility to tell you the full truth of the gospel. And that is this, apart from Jesus Christ, we are separated from him, which means not only separation in this life, but it's a separation from him in eternity in a place that was not created for us. Hell was not created for you and for me. It was created for Satan and his angels who rebelled against God. God does not want us there. He wants us with him in heaven, and he made the way through Jesus. And so this is why you should care, because it's important regarding your eternity, and it's also important, but he says, I just don't want to save you just so you get to go to heaven one day. I want to walk with you through this life that you're going through and all the brokenness right now, because you're going to need me in this life, because life is hard. Life is hard. So how are we made right with God? How did God do this? How does he make us righteous? If you're taking some notes quickly, write these things down. How does God make us right with him? And again, the gospel is elementary for some of you, but remember, we're a church that's passionate about seeing people come to understand what it means to be in a relationship. For some of you who are already, many who are already in the relationship, let it bless your soul to be reminded of what Jesus did for you in his grace. Number one, you gotta understand this, is that I can't make myself righteous. And neither can you. We, we can't make ourselves in right relationship with God. Remember what Jesus said. He started off by saying, happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who realize we've all blown it. We're all a mess. We've all sinned. None of us has it together. We're all broken. And we, we don't measure up to his standard, which is perfection. I can't even measure up to my own standards. Can you? Right? I fail all the time to things that I set as goals for myself. And so how then can I, who am an imperfect man, become perfect and righteous? And, and, and again, why is this important for this to happen, for me to become righteous? It's important because heaven is a perfect and sinless place where he says there is no more sadness, sorrow, evil, hatred, no imperfection. Heaven is a perfect place, and the problem is this, I'm imperfect. And so if God were to allow me and you who are stained by our sin to enter into the perfect place, which is heaven, it would not be, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. You follow me? It would be that which is holy would become unholy. And he's saying this, and so that's bad news, and heaven would be no better than where we currently are. So God can't let us in with the stain of sin upon our lives, otherwise heaven would be full of sin too, and that's the problem, that's the bad news, because I stopped being perfect, and so did you, the moment we took our first breath, because we are born, Scripture says, with a sin nature. But God, in his love, has a plan to handle our problem of unrighteousness. In his plan, which is called the gospel, the good news, God takes care of the unrighteousness problem so that I, along with you, can get into this perfect place. Ecclesiastes quickly, by the way, says this, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We're all in the same boat. This is everybody, pastors, priests, even the Pope, we're all sinners. 
We're all unrighteous. Even if people who do lots of good things, even if you work hard at keeping the Ten Commandments, we all fall short. Romans 3.20, and this is where we'll be. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. You may be trying on those Ten Commandments, and that's good, okay? But you're not going to be made right with God because you're still going to fail. You're still going to blow it. The law, here's what it does. It shows us how sinful we are. We're reminded we can't keep this. God's law is perfection. Many of us can't even recite fully the Ten Commandments, much less keep all of them, true? I mean, if I were to put you on the spot right now, could you get them? I won't do it. But the reality is, many of you may know them, but here's the thing, we've all broken. If you've broken one, Scripture says in Hebrews, you've broken them all. We're guilty of them all. You say, well, I've never murdered anyone. Jesus kicked it up a notch whenever he said, he said, if you've hated anyone, it's as if you've committed murder. Jesus said, well, I've never committed adultery. He said, if you've lusted, it's as if you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says, it's not so much a matter of the action as it is as it starts in the heart. I know this, we've all put something ahead of God. That's idolatry. Do you see what I'm saying? We're guilty. <laughs> we can't get around it. And if we say that we're not, we've lied, and then you just, you just made yourself guilty, right? Okay? We all fall short. I had the great opportunity to go to Hawaii this year, and, and I hear people say this. It's a tropical paradise, right? Right? And heaven is described as paradise. And I know that Hawaii is not heaven, but, but it was sure beautiful. Let's just pretend for our purposes right now, let's say it's, it's heaven, okay? By the way, our, our ladies are having a great uh, experience coming up where they're going to talk more in depth about heaven in a couple of weeks. Ladies, you need to go to this. It's going to be incredible, okay? But here's the deal. Uh, we went, and it's pretty awesome. And let's say that we're trying to get to Hawaii, which is, which is heaven, right? It's heaven on our own, and, and we're going to get there on our own effort. We're not going to take a plane. We're going to get there on our own effort. So we're going to try that, and this is like our good works, okay? Now, so I'm going to swim to Hawaii. Now, I'm in pretty decent shape. Not great shape, but pretty decent, and I'm a good swimmer. Let's say I made it out 10 miles. I don't know how many miles it is to Hawaii, but it's a lot. I make it 10 miles. Miles, and then I start getting weary, and you know what? I'm going to drown. Some of you are incredible swimmers. You might make it 30 miles, but guess what? You're not going to make it to Hawaii. Some of you, you swim like a rock. If that's you, raise your hands, all right? All right. You swim like a rock. You might make it 100 feet, and you're going to do what? You're going to drown. The point is this. Some of us may get a little further along than others, but we're still all drowning. You follow me? In other words, we all fall short. We all fall short. And so, so that's, that's something that nobody gets there all the way because none of us are perfect. The standard's too high. So nobody can be made right with God through self-effort. So God's has, has, a, has a plan for us, and it's incredible. Now, that's kind of the bad news, but here's what leads into the really good news is this right here. God sent Jesus to pay for my sins and to make me right with God. Amen? He sent Jesus for this purpose so I could be declared righteous. It's not that I am any better than anyone else because I will attest to you I am not. It's not that I'm any better. 
is this, that scripture even says that the penalty for actually being a sinner, the wages of that sin is, what does it say? Death, separation, the walking dead. And not only that, you'll be separated from God for eternity. And so Jesus said, here's the deal. I will come. I will come on their behalf. I will take their place. I will make the payment for their sin. And this, as Jesus comes, satisfies God's justice that is demanded for our sin. But it also demonstrates his grace and his love at the same time. Let's pretend this. Let's say you've lived a life of crime. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that, okay? But let's say you lived a life of crime and you got caught, and you go to court, and you're in one of those orange jumpsuits, and you're before the judge, and the judge is in his majestic robe, and he's looking down upon you. He's the righteous judge, and, he's, and he strikes the gavel and declares you guilty, and there is no getting around it. You are. All the DNA evidence points to you. You're guilty, and me too, okay, by the way. And so the, ga- the gavel strikes. You're guilty, but then in a moment that shocks the courtroom, the righteous judge walks down off of that podium there and he comes down and he takes his majestic robe off and he puts on an orange jumpsuit just like the one you have on and he takes your or his robe and puts it around you and he says, you are guilty, but because I love you, I will serve this life sentence that you've got coming to you for you. I will pay the price for you. The courtroom gasps in in shock because it's scandalous. By the way, do you understand that that is what Jesus does for us? Do you know the gospel is called a scandal? It's described that way in scripture. It's scandalous what he did for us. It's shocking that the righteous judge would elect and choose to become our savior. And this is exactly what he did. I mean, the, the, on, the only rightful one, without sin, the righteous judge becomes a savior. Church, does this not make sense to us why the good news is actually such good news? It means that everything that we've done wrong, will do wrong, and has, have done wrong, it's already been paid for by Jesus. When the judge went to the cross to be my savior and your savior, he declared upon that cross, when all of the sin was placed upon him, he said these words, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And what that means in the language that it was written in is the debt has been paid in full. The job has been done that I came to complete. This is the major difference between Christianity and every other worldview and every other world religion. Every other religion could be summed up in this word, do Check this off and you get to go to heaven. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Whereas Christianity can be summed up with this word, done. It's been done by Jesus. He's paid the price for us. Now let the word of God preach to your soul right now, okay? Romans 3.21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. See how many times he talks about being made right with God over and over. 
We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Aren't you thankful for that, right? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're drowning, so to speak. Yet God, in his grace, that's getting something we don't deserve, freely makes us right, or he declares us righteous, is what it says, makes us right in his sight. As he looks upon us, he doesn't see the orange jumpsuit anymore. He sees the robe that was his that's draped around you. He makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. This is he became our substitute. He went in our place. Another word that's used is he became our, he's the, he made the propitiation. That's a big word, but here's all it means. He made the satisfactory payment for you and for me completely paid it in full. And look, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and he is just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they, say it with me church, when they believe in Jesus. Doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? It's so clear when they believe in Jesus. Second Corinthians, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, that's the Lamb of God, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Titus chapter three, verse five. He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life. The walking dead are made alive. They're made alive through the Holy Spirit. So the good news is this. I can't make myself right with God. We're not gonna get into heaven by our own effort. We need help. We need a savior. And God who loves us so much sent Jesus to pay that payment for our sin. Now here's the third and final thing. But I must accept in faith what Christ did for me. It's in faith that I receive this. I come to him poor in spirit. And he said, happy are you when you're poor in spirit. When you finally come to brokenness and you realize, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. And Jesus, I believe that you're the one true savior. I want you in my life. I want you in my family. I want to be in the family of God in relationship with you. And I want to be clear about this. This is for lots of people here, okay? Lots of people that are in our, our church. And you'll know this if you've been around. I don't care what religious background you have. That's not what gets you into heaven. In fact, I come from a Baptist background. Any Baptists out there, raise your hands. I got a Baptist background. All right, I know that kind of scares you to raise your hand, but we can do that, all right, here, all right? How about Catholic background? Do we have any folks with Catholic background? Awesome, love that, all right? Any Methodist, Methodist background? Methodist background, lots of them, okay? Lots of different backgrounds. Uh, any Pentecostal charismatics, raise your hand. Y'all the ones that love raising your hands, right? All right, raise those hands up, right? You might even shout and say, glory to God, all right? And... Um, what about, and this is cool, anybody would just, you'd say, I don't really have much of a church background. Would you raise your hand? We have, that's awesome. I love it. 
Uh, Don't you love that? I love that. But here's what I want you to know. None of that stuff matters. We're all on the same level playing field when we come before God. Whatever denomination you have been affiliated with, that none of that said one word about that, did it? When we planted this church 18 years ago, our passion was this. This is all we care about. We're not trying to get you to become any denomination, anything. We want people to know how much Jesus loves you. Amen? And that he wants you in his family. But you must accept it in faith. He doesn't twist your arm. The way you come into relationship is by faith in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You could be the most religious person ever and still not be in a relationship with God. And so many people go through their whole lives and they're religious, but they've never really found satisfaction because they've never come in relationship. You're made for a relationship with God. Jesus said, you're happy when you hunger and thirst for righteousness that I came to give you and can give you. You won't find it in money. You won't find it in sex or fame or athletics or other people or good works. Your total satisfaction, Jesus says, it only comes through me. Watch the rest of Wayne Jr.'s story. It's pretty awesome. I got a call from a couple friends and they said, hey, Junior, we got a chance to go on a nuclear submarine for three days and cruise from South Carolina to Florida. Do you want to go? I said, done, we're there, we'll take our plane. And I was introduced to Captain Brad Fleetwood McDonald. We became incredible friends. He took me on his submarine, so I started taking him out of my fishing boat and I began to ask him questions about leadership. I thought, who better? than a man that commands 120 gentlemen underneath the ocean for six months at a time. And every time I asked him about leadership, he had his Bible. And he had this incredible peace about him that was unlike any that I'd ever seen in all the people that I had met through Wayne Sr. And one day I got up my courage and I asked him, I said, Captain Brad, why are we so different? Junior, he said, you have a hole in your heart. It's consuming everything that you're trying to put in. Everything you do is trying to fill that hole. And the only way you're going to fill that hole is with the relationship with God. I thought, could that be it? Could it be that easy? All these things that I've been chasing, all these places that I'm going, a relationship with God. Well, I went home and I tried to find a church. pastor gave an incredible sermon and at the end before he closed said do you think that there's a reason that God allowed you to be born do you think that he has a plan for your life I felt like he was talking right at me instead of the 4,000 people that were there I stood up out of my chair like I was launched out by springs And I can still hear this voice inside of me that said, Junior, sit down. You look so silly. But there was no way. I made my way down the road to the aisle and forward to the front of this church that I'd never been to before. And I fell to my knees. 
and I began to cry. And I cried and I listened to that pastor and he said, repeat the simple words and ask Jesus into your heart. And I did. I told Jesus that I was sorry, that I loved him, and that I wanted to know what this plan for my life was. I wanted to be in this personal relationship with him if he wanted to be in it with me. It's power. Not Junior's power, but God's power, the Holy Spirit's power. The power to change. I went home and I tried to explain to my wife what happened. She looked at me and she said, I don't know what happened, but I'm worried. She told me at one point that I'd been abducted by aliens. I didn't know what to tell her. All I knew is that I was indeed a different person. Success for me is that one day when I die and I see Jesus, that he'll look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful son. I've been given such a gift based on the life that I lived, a second chance, a chance to follow Jesus, to go to heaven, to live an eternal life. And I know for certainty that I'm gonna live in heaven. He was dead. And he came alive. Jesus said, he said, happy are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. They shall be filled. He became poor in spirit and he found true happiness. I would be remiss as a pastor today if I did not give you that opportunity, if you've never come into a personal relationship with God, to right now say, I'm ready to cross that line in faith. So can we just bow our heads in prayer right now? Maybe you have already trusted Christ as your Savior, and you can just, in the quietness of your heart, thank Him for His grace. Let Him fill your heart with joy right now that He's saved you, and that it's not because of anything you've done, but it's by His grace. But if you've never trusted Jesus, just, just all of us, just get along with God right now and just talk to Him. You might say something like this to him, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm imperfect. And I realize this, I can never be perfect. I can't be righteous on my own. And I wanna thank you, Jesus, for loving me in spite of my sin. And for proving that by dying on the cross for me and taking my place. And I believe this, that you are the Savior, the one who can make me right with God. And I want to be in relationship with you, the relationship you created me for. And so I humbly ask you to be my Savior. And I bow my knee to you in my heart today. And I thank you for dying for my sins and for forgiving me. And as best as I know how, I want to live for you, Jesus. And with all of our heads bowed before the Lord right now, today, if today was the day that you said, 
I'm stepping across that line in faith and I'm coming into relationship with God. I invited him to be my savior for the first time. I want you just to look up at me right now. Just look at me. If that's you and you say, I'm coming into relationship with God today. Today is the day for me. What I want to encourage those of you who are, first of all, I want to welcome you into the family of God. But what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to take that card somewhere that's in one of those seats next to you. And there's a place where you can write your name, write the, write in the, in the white space there, write today, saved. Just write the word saved. You write your information there. And that's not for us to harass you or anything like that. We just have a responsibility to come alongside you and to help you in your new faith in Christ. We want to help you with that, but I congratulate you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. And we want to respond by thanking you, God, and singing to you as we close our service. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you just to stand with me and let's just, in light of his grace, can we just give him our best in worship as we close this service? Let's sing to our great and mighty God. Amen. Sing this.